This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. One to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good morning, everybody. It is time for a little A's Cast Live before A's Baseball. Coming to you from Camp Park, 105 first pitch. It's the Athletics against the Cincinnati Reds. This is a rematch of the 1972 and the 1990 World Series. Winner of today's action will decide all time whether the A's or the Reds dominate this longtime hatred rivalry right here. It will all be decided in Mesa, Arizona. The A's got theirs in 72. Reds got there in 90. Got theirs in 90. By the way, that was a sweep if you remember back in the day. That was ugly. So we got Reds, we got A's. A's have not been so hot in spring training. They've lost four straight. They've lost seven of eight, and they are now two, eight, and one in spring. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. Reds are, and by the way, the Reds have traded away people to themselves and are not looking for a great season, but they're six, four, and one. The A's have the fewest runs, the second fewest home runs, and tied for third with the fewest stolen bases, which we'll get into today. Changing second base and moving second base and will changing where second base is change and maybe add some more entertainment value to baseball by encouraging more stolen bases. So moving second base in a little bit, not moving it left or right, but just moving it in a little bit makes it closer to first base. And if you make it closer to first base, would he also make it closer to? Third base. I'm not a geometry guy. Would that be geometry? Yes, geometry. I'm not a geometry guy, but if you make it closer first, it means you're making it close to third, which means ideally you'd make it easier. Now, a lot has to do with how you run the bases and how you take your angles running the bases. 
Some players are better at that than others. But if you make it closer to first, means you're making making it closer to third, which makes it going from first to third faster and easier in theory, right? Yeah, unless a few people, if our fans remember yesterday, unless it's our pool host running from home. the But even, because <laughs> we're going to go with the, the math, for some reason everybody wants to start getting into math again, which if you're like me, and I'm just going to speak to you, my friends out there, my A's cast and A's cast live family, as I consider us all friends, I know the majority of you, you know, we talk about polls. There's always polls out, right? There's always polls in um, politics. and all. I would love to do a poll inside the A's cast family. I would love to do a poll. How many of you like math? Because if I, if, if I, you're going to have, you're going to have two boxes you can check. You're going you're gonna to either say yay or nay on math. I hate math. Literally want no part of it. Unless you're talking dollar bills and they're coming my way and we're going to talk about, you know, making money. If it's not about making money, if it's costing me money or if it's any type of, of and I, I can actually get into this as uh, if you've been following, I'm reading a fan's guide to baseball analytics. Our good friend who comes on the program, Anthony Castrovince, uh, I hate math equations. I hated them in school, and I really hate them in baseball. Not saying that they don't mean anything. Obviously, they they mean a great deal. But for me, uh, (laughs) I was looking at this last night, and I couldn't call Cody because it was too late. But um, Runs Created, a Bill James production. Have you ever seen how Runs Created is calculated? It's a real long formula, and then you have to divide it by other over another long formula, right? You, yeah, I could give if if your life was on the line. If I said I have a gun, and you've got to tell me the formula, I hope Eno Saris. I doubt he's listening, because this runs created. Okay, is an estimate of a player's total offensive contribution to his team in terms of total total runs. You admitted finally that runs are the most important thing in the game. Yeah, that's that's true. You can't win if you can't score. If you don't, have, if you don't, by the end of the game, if you don't have more runs than the other team, uh, you can't win. Yeah, you're probably going to come out on the losing end. Okay, so we now go by something that really rules our sport. That's taken the analytic of runs created to weighted runs created plus which basically takes run creation and normalizes it for different ballparks, for different eras. So it allows for us to look at a guy. So a player that plays at Coors Field, and I'm looking at this is basically from MLB.com. I'll read it to you. For example, a player who plays his home games at Coors Field will have a lower weighted run created plus number than a player, and I'm not being a homer here, this is on MLB.com, for a player who posts the same exact stats 
at the Oakland Coliseum. So I, I didn't inject us into it. This is, as you can see on my computer, just so people know I'm not being a homer here. No, no, because I'm looking at runs created, and you're looking at weighted runs created plus. So. Yeah, so it's got Oakland Coliseum on here. So I just so a, a player who puts up. So let's say, let's just say, um, give me a guy, Todd Helton. Todd Helton played his whole career for the Rockies. So if you took Todd Helton's career in Colorado, put that in Oakland, same career, same numbers, same everything, his number would be better for the A's than it would be the Rockies because they're going to take in the ballpark effect. And he probably has a better – I mean, he still has a good chance for the Hall of Fame, but I think if he played in a ballpark like Oakland than he did in Coors Field, I think there's your answer of him being a – is he a Hall of Famer with this looking at the weighted runs created Oh, if he did what he did in Oakland, they didn't, and he'd be lock yeah, he'd for be, the baseball Hall of Fame. I don't know, first ballot, but he'd be in in the first uh, couple of years. He'd be first ballot. Uh, you know, there's always writers who won't vote for him. Okay, you're trying to tell me. Todd, I, I think Todd, Todd Helton's. Helton. I think Todd Helton's an, was an exceptional player. But we're gonna put his exact same. We're getting so sidetracked here. But if you're trying to tell me Todd Helton's numbers, I'm gonna read you his career numbers. But these are now Oakland Coliseum numbers. You ready? Yeah. We'll go tradition. Three sixteen career batting average. 1,406 RBIs, 369 home runs, 592 doubles, a career OPS of 953, which is great. He did that at the Oakland Coliseum. You don't think he's first ballot Hall of Famer? And by the way, gold gloves, let's go one, two, three gold gloves. I guarantee he probably would have won an MVP. You know, like a year where he had 42 home runs, had 147 RBIs. Yeah, but did he did he lead the league that year with the, the RBI? No. Yes. He did? Yeah. He had what, what year was that? He had a 372 batting average and 147 RBIs. Was that, was that the Jeff Kent MVP year, 2000? It would have been Bonds or Kent, one of them. Yeah. It just shows you. I mean, Helton put up those numbers and Jeff Kent won. So, if he did that in Oakland, he's the MVP. Oh, of course. I, I'm not going to argue with you about that. I, I think he had a 1,162 OPS. He had 216 hits. He had 147 RBIs. I think he does that in Oakland. He's the MVP. I, I, he probably wins. You know, look at his look at these home run numbers: 35, 42, 49, 30, 33, 32. And you look at the RBI numbers: 147, 146. If Todd Helton does that in Oakland, I bet he wins multiple MVPs. I don't disagree with that. He's basically Giambi. I was going to say, you'd have to compare him to other first basemen of that era that played in the American League and be Giambi and who else is a big first baseman? Tomey. And, yeah, I mean, those numbers would be right up there with those guys. Big Hurt. Big Hurt, yeah. If, I, know I'm, I know I'm forgetting another guy in the American League. I mean, Hurt, Big Hurt won back-to-back MV. Was it back-to-back? He won two, but was it yeah, back-to-back? I, 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 I think they're back-to-back. But, yeah, those are numbers that are MVP numbers. But – he didn't get the credit being in Coors Field, but if he, but yeah, looking at this thing, the the runs it, it, created. It was back to back, by the way. Just look at what it's right here. Look at what you have to do to calculate runs created. Um. Yeah, that's that's crazy because I'm looking it's at a, a formula of one, two, three, four, six lines. It's six lines, hits plus walks plus hit by pitch minus caught stealing minus. 
grounded into double plays times total bases plus .26 uh, divided by walks and ten. I mean, this thing goes on. This equation goes on and on and on. See, that's weird because his rated his way. Uh, this is just runs created, not way to runs. Just play. runs created on MLB MLB.com, where it tells you you can look up stuff in the glossary. It says. At its most basic, with a few variables factored in as possible, the formula for for runs created is total bases times hit plus walks divided by at-bats and walks combined. That doesn't sound like it in the book. No, <laughs> I, that's where it's like these math equations, it's just I, – I, I believe it. I believe all this stuff matters. I just – I don't want to – I just – once you start putting in the equations, they scare me. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the math – the math can, can we just so we need to do a poll yay on math or nay on math for our A's cast family getting back to the original point are, are is anybody into the math or not from it we'll do the polling there'll be people who vote can we put out a poll I'm gonna I'm gonna think of the best way to word it and put it out on our yeah put out a poll if 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 our fan base wants to hear the math or not? When is when is Eno joining us today? Uh, Eleven thirty. Eno will be with us. And uh, if you want to vote on the poll, when I put it up, Athletics Cast Twenty Four on Twitter. Couple things that as we were getting ready for the show, an article popped on the Athletic, and I got to read it, which is a feat in itself that I actually got to read the entire article before the start of the show since. Every article on The Athletic is like 100 pages long. Ken Rosenthal, how Mark McGuire helped Jared Kelnick of the Mariners. Big Mac, nice story about Mark McGuire. And Mark McGuire is 58 years old. And he has a son in college at Oklahoma. Who but that's demolished the baseball over the weekend? But that's not the uh, is not the remember the son from the home run race from his first marriage. Yeah, God, that kid's got to be in he's his. Pro- he's probably my around, somewhere around my age. Yeah, maybe. he's got to be in his thirties. God, man, my, yeah, yeah. McGuire's fifty eight. Yeah, so if he had him when he's like twenty five, he'd be twenty. Yeah, he'd be thirty thirty three. So he'd be my age. So McGuire's got a son right now at Oklahoma. He's got another son who's a senior in high school, who's committed to play at Oklahoma. I've been there, by the way, twice to cover Oklahoma football. Uh, Norman, the campus there, gorgeous. Everything's brick, well, obviously because of tornadoes, but everything's brick, and the campus is gorgeous, and Oklahoma football, big, big deal. People love them some Sooners. They're not like... You know how, like, the Dodgers and the Lakers are big in L.A. and, like, here in the Bay Area, you know, the Warriors and the and the 49ers and the Giants and the A's. Or the Sacramento Kings are big in Sacramento, right? Sharks. Sharks are big in San, San Jose. Jose. <laughs> right? Like, Padres are big in San Diego. Oklahoma is big with the entire – even though the state's not big, but the entire state. That's like their NFL team. Yeah, they're pretty good. And your guy, Mike Gundy, uh, I know you're a big fan of the uh, I'm a man, I'm 40 speech. Yeah, oh, I love him. Some Oklahoma State. I mean, we're this, we're not the same age, but I love me some uh, Gundy. Him and that mullet he rocked a few I years saw ago. him play in the Holiday Bowl. He was the quarterback for Oklahoma State in the Holiday Bowl in, what, 1988. Who was his running back? 
the Holiday Bowl. Gundy, who did he, where'd he play at? Oklahoma State. Oh, Barry Sanders. So it was Hartley Dykes was the wide receiver and Barry Sanders. It's the greatest football game I've ever – greatest performance I've ever seen. Was it? Go look at the Holiday Bowl as Oklahoma State versus Wyoming in San Diego. Holiday Bowls have always been fantastic. Go look. Hit Mike Gundy, the head coach now, the mullet. It's a beautiful mullet uh, for Oklahoma State. Famous for I'm a man, I'm 40 uh, speech. But Barry Sanders, that performance, I was there. It was literally – a man amongst boys. And Wyoming was good. So you had guys are going to play in the NFL on both Wyoming and Oklahoma State. Nobody looked like they were on the same page as Barry Sanders. He's a man among boys. But anyway, Mark McGuire, isn't it amazing how Mark McGuire, who you would not think as a great hitter, I would never think of my – like if you said, okay – in the history of you watching baseball, would you consider Mark Mo- Mark McGuire a great hitter? Uh, hitter, no. Power hitter, absolutely. Hitter, no. Like if you said runner on third, your life is on the line, and you need to get that runner from third home, are you picking Mark McGuire? No. Now, if I need a home run, yes. Now, they mentioned the PEDs in this article. That's always going to follow him. Um, and that's something to remind me about. Barry Bonds was brought up in a Jim Bowden article about predicting the future. Oh, yeah. And I, I was like, are you serious? Like, come on. I mean, you can hate Barry. I get it. But at some point, you got to let it go, folks. Uh, remind me of that. But it talks about McGuire sees things in hitting that other people don't. And he's unfortunately helping Kelnick uh, up in Seattle, who I I truly believe in this, is that you can have, and and McGuire, they talk about golf. I mean, anytime you're hitting, you know, whether you're talking about hitting a hockey puck, hitting a golf ball, hitting a baseball, throwing a baseball – You can be big, you can be strong, you can be flexible, you can have whatever attribute you think is going to be good for the art of doing this, but you got to have good fundamentals. If you don't have good fundamentals, you, you can sit there in a batting cage and hit all you want. You can go out and throw as many bullpens all you want. You can go to a range and hit as many golf balls. If you've got bad fundamentals, you're just working on crap and you're not going to get better. And immediately Mark McGuire saw flaws in Kelnick's game as so many teachers of whether you're hit whatever object you're hitting now, whether we're talking about puck, baseball, golf ball, from the everything's ground up. Everything is cre- the ground or as you would say the ice you're you're getting your power from how you're utilizing the ground up versus everybody used to always just think about upper body and hands. The power is coming from your feet all the way up through your body. That's how you generate the great home run hitters generated their power from how they utilize the ground. One of the great examples, as you would hear about two guys that were amazing at doing this, you wouldn't teach it because 
you have to have such great eyesight, hand-eye coordination, and strength to do it. But Roberto Clemente and Hank Aaron were both front foot hitters where that front foot would hit all of their weight is now going onto their front side and they're turning their they're they're basically like a coil their body from their waist through their upper body which then brings the hands through is all coming off the stability from their left foot dug into the ground and the power going from their left foot all the way up through their left leg it's like a pillar it's like they're twisting on this pillar that is their left leg through their left foot and whack and hitting the you-know-what out of it. Like, our, you know, the great Ray Fossey, did, did you ever hear Fossey tell that story about, I think it might have been in spring training. It wasn't an all-star game. But just how hard the ball sounded off the bat of Hank Aaron and you could hear his swing. As a catcher, you could hear his swing come through. And he was hitting off his front foot. But that front foot, when it got into the ground, it was like stuck into the ground and all the power, like I said, it was kind of like a pillar, was coming up from the ground into his body and his body swung around that pillar and his hands, you know, the as the body uncoiled, hips, upper body, it brought the hands through and he hit the you-know-what out of it. He hit lasers. And Clemente was the same. You wouldn't teach that because the head's moving. There's a lot of fundamentals that you know you got to be a special person to do that but that's the thing you know Big Mac sees a lot of things and that's why you know Tony La Russa basically getting Big Mac to fall on the sword with the PED things to get him back into the game but you know boy it would be great for baseball to be able you know I understand he's got all the money he'll ever need gonna He's got his kids, spent a lot of times with his, his wife, and uh, I believe they have four or five kids, and uh, being a good dad and doing all doing all those things. And, you know, his kids are now entering their life and their careers. He wants to be a part of it. But God, it would be great for baseball to have McGuire back into it. And maybe it's uncomfortable, but you heard here on Ace Cast, maybe one day we should replay that interview. The interview with Mark McGuire. When we had Mark McGuire on to talk about him going into the A's Hall of Fame and just listening, because when he talks, it's fascinating. He has, he's one of those guys that when he talks, you listen because he's saying something. He's not speaking in cliches, he's giving you information. And when we talked about his run with Sammy Sosa, the home run chase, and how it saved baseball. And I asked that question, and he just went. Uh, Cody and I just sat back, and we were like, you know, we just sat back and we're like, wow. Because the answer he gave about people to this day still come up to him and thank him for saving the game. He saved the freaking game. The game was circling the drain. And he and Sammy, as much as they've been – you know, in a way, kind of banned. You know, these guys are not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, seriously. But a very good article today on The Athletic about Mark McGuire. And hopefully someday, I, I don't know, he he's not, is he still part of the Veterans Committee vote? 
He's got to be, right? You're on there for a lot of years. Um, He might be close to being off of no it. No way. Because no, if, Gar- no, if, Gar- so- if Garvey's still on it, yeah, Dale on- Murphy. He'll be on that Today's Era committee because that's the one McGriff's on. Yeah, he should be. And McGriff should be a Hall of Famer. I agree with that. My God. I mean, it's just like it's – we're still trying to punish these guys. It's it's just not right. But I'm I'm glad that we still. I mean, because Mark McGuire will always be a big part of this game's history. You know, there are guys that took stuff and put up numbers, but they'll never be a, really a part of this game's history. Mark McGuire will always be a part of baseball's timeline. You will not be able to tell the story of Major League Baseball and not have Mark McGuire in it. Now, I can give you plenty of guys from that era. I can tell you right now. Rafael Palmero had an unbelievable career. I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. But I can tell the history of baseball without Rafael Palmero. I can tell the history of baseball if we looked at all the guys in the PED era, and I can even tell you the history of baseball for guys who are in the Hall of Fame who played in that era. I literally could tell the history, and no disrespect to this player. He was great. He arguably is in the conversation for greatest catcher of all time, but I can tell the history of baseball without Pudge Rodriguez. I can tell the history of baseball without Chipper Jones. I could easily tell the history. What history do they have? Chipper's thing was the switch hitting. You're trying to tell me if we went through the history of baseball, we couldn't gloss over Chipper Jones? Probably the second greatest switch hitter of all time behind Mickey Mantle. Okay. I'll I'll throw this to you. 100 years from now, we're all dead. Who's going to care about Chipper Jones? Could, could be more, multiple guys that are switch hitters that have a better career. But I think people will still remember him and Mickey Mantle when they look at it. Uh, Mickey Mantle's been dead for how many years? Uh, that's a, I don't know exact date, but. Uh, Mickey Mantle is still 100 times more popular than Chipper. Oh, Jones. yeah. I mean, every time we talk about Mike Trout, we com- uh, he gets compared to Mickey Mantle. Oh, he doesn't compare. No one compares anybody to Chipper Jones. Unless you're a Braves. Freddie Freeman does in, in Atlanta. Well, he did. I think, <laughs> I th- am I proving my point? Yeah. Like, I, I sent it to you last night. Who's got the mo who's got the who's got who led the league in OPS the most times ever in the history of baseball and who led the league the most ever in home runs in the history of baseball? Uh, George Herman Ruth. Yeah. Babe Ruth is still talked about today. When we're dead, no one's talking Chipper Jones, no one's talking Pudge Rodriguez. Who else you want to throw on that list? Uh, uh, our guy the Big Hurt. We just had Big Hurt's not the test of time. These guys, I mean, Mark McGuire will be talked about his era and what he did to save the baseball. When we're all dead, they'll still talk about this in the annuals of baseball. Yeah, him and, and Sosa and what Cal Ripken did all in that same totally. time frame. They will be and Pedro Martinez, too, because yeah. what he did, how good he was those couple of years. Baseball, maybe baseball a story, but like you got to think about. See, I think I don't know. It's because of our age difference. Because whenever I ask you this, you, you're very nowish versus like. Think about World War II, and I know this is getting very dramatic, but there was a lot of things that happened in World War II, but when you go over the history of World War II, you gloss over a lot of it because you only go to the main things. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's... So that's what I'm saying. 
if we take the history of baseball, 150-plus years of Major League Baseball, you think Chipper Jones ends up on that timeline? Most likely not. Pudge Rodriguez? Rafael Palmero? Probably not. Are those Rangers – the guy, you know, when you mentioned those two guys? You know Big what? Hurt? Probably not either. Like, how many players? Bonds will. Yeah. McGuire will. Sosa. Like, Sosa will be dragged into it just because of McGuire. Yeah. Uh, Ripken for sure. Yeah. And you know me, I love me some Tony Gwynn. Uh, Tony Gwynn won't. Ricky w- Ricky is the only guy that is really an A, that we view as an A. Because McGuire on this timeline is, is essentially a cardinal. Yeah, true. Um, if we're looking at just that time frame, like the steroid era, uh, I think Maddox gets mentioned because he was so good from – the year, what, the early 90s through that whole era. I'll give you him. Uh, not Glavin. No. Not Smoltz. I think I think Maddox is the guy because of how many wins he had. Just whoa, good. whoa, whoa. Do not. Uh, I'm just saying from that era when wins, they value Do wins. I have to bring my book <laughs> out about wins? Give me Jacob DeGrom. you going to you, you, you gonna you, – did you just use wins? You've been cra- – You know the guy we forgot, Roger Clemens, what we mentioned. I, yeah. Probably, you know why he'll probably be mentioned? He's dragged in with Bonds. Probably because they both of them might not be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and they have all, like, I doubt anyone. Now, I don't know. A lot of things change. Is anyone going to win seven MVPs, and is anyone going to win seven Cy Young Awards in our lifetime? Um, How many does Trout have already? Three? He might come close. But uh, Cy Youngs? Would you bet it? Would you bet? No, I wouldn't no. bet on the Cy Youngs either right so now. So probably when you and I are no longer on this earth, Bonds and Clemens will still be leading in in these awards. Oh, most likely, yes. Um, so they will be they will be on that timeline. I'm trying to think if there's even a pitcher we can think of in baseball right now that could even contend for seven Cy Youngs. DeGrom's getting older. Scherzer's older. Kershaw's older. I'm looking at multiple-time winners. Uh, Corbin Burns only won one, so let's not throw him in there yet. Well, I I hate to say the devaluing of players. I just, you know, the devaluing of kind of just all athletes in a way. It's, it's hard to – and this is getting into a hole. But the star player is not what it used to be. That really sports is, you know, what is the value of professional sports now? The value of professional sports is to be a content filler. How many games you got, right? I mean, what is the one position in sports people care about? It's quarterback. All the other positions, you could have a certain basketball player. I mean, you could have a LeBron. I mean, you could throw Steph Curry in there. But for the most part... The, the 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 sports star, modern-day sports star, is far different in our society than it was years ago. Do we have our man Eno? Eno, how are you? It's been a while. It has, and it hasn't been that pleasant of a while. <laughs> yeah, well, well, okay, what the heck do you do during a lockout? Oh, man. I, I stare at the wall, and I hope it ends. <laughs> I mean, you got no numbers to crunch. You've got no You've got. I did my best. I I I, I crunched some numbers on the proposals 
whenever a proposal came through, I tried to kind of, you know, point out what money was at stake and how what what the numbers were they were battling over. And one of the things that I pointed out that I and think ended up being important in the end was that the the things that they were talking about uh, paid for themselves. Like the players were offering patches on uniforms and expanded playoffs, and that was worth about uh, you know two hundred million dollars to the to the owners. And so the players were then trying to take that two hundred million dollars give it to young players with the with the new minimum salary and with the bonus pool and stuff so it's basically a negotiation about this 200 million dollars of new money and the players wanted to use it in a way that might change the economics of baseball going forward uh you want my quick little theory even though i work for a baseball team so i have to tread tread lightly but this is this is this is this is, this is, this is purely as a this I, I'm taking my baseball hat off and I'm putting my, mm-hmm. my my business owner hat on. Yeah, baseball owners went into this thing knowing they're going to have to give some money. So what they did was they held on to their core beliefs on how they want to run their business. They gave the players some money here, some money there, but in the end, they knew with all of these new deals coming down because. Their value is that Apple of a con- yes, peacock. Yeah. There, the value of sports is is outside of the NFL. If you look at baseball, NFL, NHL, their value now is becoming as a content provider that you can provide mm-hmm. content for people. And if I'm if I'm Apple and I'm going to charge a subscription, I need stuff for that subscription, and that's where baseball is starting to fit in. Like if I'm the owners, all right, we'll give them a little money here, we'll give them a little money there. That'll shut them up for five years, and in the meantime, <laughs> we're going to make a boatload of money. What do you think? Yes. Uh, the major thing was there was no real structural change. The biggest structural change was the creation of the new bonus pool. I think that is something kind of new uh, that will pay some young players that, that play exceptionally, but it only helps the kind of guys that will sign big deals later anyway. So they didn't really get structural change. I'll agree with you on that. And I do think, I do like think that maybe there was some goal of like maybe breaking the union or like, you know, really, you know, uh, trying to push them to the brink because there was some brinksmanship going on. We almost lost regular season games, you know? So there was some like, we want to like, we really want to make an impression on the union and put them in their place, blah, blah, blah. In the end, I think the union did well for changing the minimum salary. They did some good things that will make younger players get paid more, but the owners got no structural change. There are no big changes. I think you're right about that. All right. One thing that I absolutely love is Pitchcom. And I'm on their website right now. And for people to understand, Pitchcom basically is a little device that the catcher will have. He will press a button. It'll tell you the pitch and the location. And it will notify shortstop second base. It can happen in English. It can happen in Spanish. On their website, you know, I'm looking at it right now. It says, the ultimate covert communication system that's been used in low A, the Arizona Fall League. But So let's say catcher hits the one button. I don't know how to say slider outside in Spanish, but he hits the button, and the middle infielders are now going to know, okay, slider, low outside, everybody can – 
understand and position themselves the right way. Corey Seager already likes it with the Rangers. What 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 do you think of Pitchcom? <laughs> I know that Max Scherzer uh, said very very succinctly, "I will not do that." No. <laughs> but, uh, so there's always whenever you have a new idea in baseball, there's always uh, some pushback. I like it, and I think it could do a lot to do, undo some of the sign-stealing stuff that we've had with the Astros and stuff like that. Um, also, I think it could improve the pace of play because one of the ways we've dealt with sign-stealing is that the pitchers will have a card in their hat that they've got to check. Okay, what line are we on? And, oh, okay, we're doing the third set of signs. Okay, that's this. And then the catcher will give some signs, and then maybe the pitcher will forget and will have to look again, or the catcher has to look at his thing on his arm and be like, okay, third set of signs. So it's like, you know, that is actually minutes of our life that are going by. So uh, I like that part. The only thing that makes me a little bit worried is I worry that it'll turn into a new kind of arms race where someone's trying to block that signal or hack that signal. And all of a sudden we find out years from now that Arizona Diamondbacks, and I'm not speaking on them, I'm just saying like, oh my God, the Arizona Diamondbacks had some Bluetooth hacker on the field that was hacking the, the pitch con and was like giving all the signals. So like, I, you know, that's baseball, right? Like we'll come up with some solution and five years from now we find out someone's been hacking everybody's pitch con. So uh, that's the only thing I worry about. Well, now when you say that, you, 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 you want to sound like you're not crazy, right? <laughs> but come on no 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 like, but i'm gonna baseball I, I, no i'm gonna back you because because let's go back to the late 80s where it's legendary that bill walsh and the 49ers at candlestick park because bill walsh would script the first 20 plays that bill parcells legendary coach of the Giants, said it always seemed to happen that at the very beginning of the game, everybody's headsets would go out, and when one, when one side's headset went out, the other side had to take theirs off, and they would cut them to communication, <laughs> and Bill Walsh exactly. wanted that because he had already scripted the first 20 plays. And there is a legend. Yeah. They have this on NFL Network and NFL Films where Bill – Bill Parcells said he warned Bill Walsh before a game, don't do it, Bill, or I will expose you. So to think that – so when I'm saying you don't want to sound crazy, that stuff's happened in the NFL for years. Right, right. And then the first – the very first sign-stealing scandal in baseball, I think, was back in like the 30s or something, um, or maybe it was the 50s. Somebody uh, – somebody put a buzzer in the ground underneath the third base coach's box. And so there was actually something that would vibrate in the ground and tell the third base coach if fastball was coming. What? I kind of like it. <laughs> Someone, when they caught them, they actually were like at the baseball game, like digging up and they were like found a device in the ground. <laughs> I, you know, you're sitting around going, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know how that got there. They must have had that. So, so like if you're in Oakland, you could have said, they must have put that there for the monster trucks. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good like short-term solution. I wonder how strong it is in terms of hacking, like how, how, how sure they are that it can't be hacked. And um, apparently it says something out loud uh, so that, you know, you kind of have to be careful that it doesn't say it so loud that the guy on second can hear it or the batter, you know, <laughs> if it's like fastball, you're like, oh, thanks, fastball. 
Yeah, no, I, it's funny how they say it. it's like slider, low and outside. Yeah, now you're going to have guys have gloves over their ears so the runner can't hear it. That would be funny. Um, so right, right before our show, Ken Rosenthal posted the article about Mark McGuire. But you go down and something very, you know, because I'm so into the A's and into our own little world that, you know, I'll look at other, you know, I watch baseball, love baseball, look at other teams, but, you know, CJ Nikowski and I from the Rangers and I had this conversation about, we all know our teams better than we owe. We know other teams and in Rosenthal's article today, I don't, did you get to see it by the way? Not yet. Okay. So you go down a little bit and one thing says, Potential problems for the Braves. And he talks about here, Freddie Freeman leaves, and you bring in an outside guy, our own Matt Olson, for eight years, $168 million. Then you got these guys that are just won a World Series for you. They're going to arbitration. Uh, they did not settle. They're now going to have arbitration cases that are going to go out through the year. Um, you got guys that were that were balling for you in the World Series, and you're haggling over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars with them. But you just paid an outsider like Matt Olson that kind of money, and he's never done anything for you. I didn't think about that for the dynamic inside the A's clubhouse, but obviously players talk, players know about money, they know who's making what, and if you're a guy that just helped this team win a World Series, and they're haggling me for 250 k and they just gave Matt Olson all that money. Could there be a problem in that clubhouse? That's an interesting question. I think that, um, you know, the person who is paid, the position player who is paid the most is the natural leader in the clubhouse. That's something I've learned over the years of, you know, being in clubhouses. So I think he steps right in and is now the – leader in the clubhouse of a clubhouse he's never been in before. <laughs> um, just knowing him though, everyone loved him in here in Oakland, uh, the players. Uh, I never heard of any problems and he was friends with different parts of the clubhouse. Um, and he's also from Georgia. So, you know, I think he's got a lot of motivation himself to like, to make it work in his hometown. And I, I I hear the idea, but I I just think in practice, knowing Matt Olson, I don't I don't actually think it'll be a problem. Yeah, I I agree because he's such a good guy, but I do see where other guys could be like, wait a minute, I just pitched all these innings for you in the World Series, and you're haggling me for pennies. I I, I can just I think that might be anger towards Anthopolis, you know, like yeah. That doesn't necessarily need to port over to anger towards Olsen, you know, because like most players are like, hey, man, get yours. I want to get mine. I want you to get yours, you know. Um, I think that just might lead to some anger towards uh, Anthopolis where maybe nobody signs. I mean, they have they have two of the most team friendly young player extensions in Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna. So, like, I doubt anybody else on that team is going to sign up for, you know, extension where they give up their their free agent years or whatever, you know. Well, so I think that that might be what happened. You broke the news on, on Jed Lowry coming back to the A's, which was just, it was so funny. It's like, you know, it's like <laughs> Jed and the A's. It's just, it's a, such like the greatest fit ever. Uh, but when you look at the two pieces left 
and Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya threw the ball real well last night against the Dodgers. How do you think these two play out with the A's and, and they're being moved on? Yeah, it's interesting because I've been saying that, you know, Billy Bean doesn't usually do full teardowns where, you know, he usually tries. I remember there's been times where you think he's doing a teardown and then all of a sudden he signs Duanis Cespedes, right? And, uh, and says, no, no, we're buying and selling, you know? Um, and so I, I think he's usually, and, and when he trades for players, as you've seen with Kevin Smith, uh, Shea Langliers, Christian Pache, the guys that came back in, uh, in the various trades they made, uh, he tries to get guys he can put right on the major league roster. I mean, I think Pache is going to be the center fielder, and I think uh, I think Kevin Smith is going to be the third baseman. So, um, you know, when I look at the fact that Manaya and Montas haven't been moved yet, I wonder if it's like, hey, we're going to put a better squad out there than people think. And in, if things break right, then we're good. If things break wrong, then I can trade those guys for about the same value, at least when it comes to Manaya, I can trade him for about the same value at the trade deadline when I have more desperate people, you know, trying to, more desperate teams knowing they're going to go to the postseason wanting Manaya than right now where everyone's like, well, you know, I think we're okay. We don't have to pay that much. Um, so I think Manaya will maybe likely make it to the trade deadline and then, and then we'll see how the A's are doing, you know. So it was, it's kind of funny. I, I was just back home in San Diego visiting my brother, and we were uh, at this golf course, and it was starting to rain, so everybody was inside. And on television on ESPN, they were doing season totals for baseball, and the A's came up at 69 and a half. And everybody looked over at me, and I said, you know, you got to realize about us is that we overachieve a lot. Like, whenever you think it's going to be so dire, like 2012, we thought was going to be such a horrible season. So it's like, it's tough to, it's always tough to look at the A's and say, wow, this team's going to be terrible. Because before you know it, a bunch of moves are made, and then the, then they're competitive. It's really, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's really hard to gauge how a season is going to go with the green and gold. It really is, and and it's just not really styled to do the the full tear down to the nuts and bolts and and lose 120 games. I mean, he just hasn't done that, you know. So I think that that sort of that that's what he, this looks like a pitching and defense squad to me, you know. I think he has changed it up a little bit where, you know, he's been he's had mashers, he's had bad defensive squads, you know, he's had different he's had different approaches. But this this one looks like, you know, Pache in center can really run it down. Kevin Smith was a shortstop like two years ago. So, like, I, I think this is going to be a really good defensive squad, and uh, maybe they just win a lot of one-run games. Well, your partner on The Athletic put out – Jim Bowden put out all the grades for the offseason. He gave the A's an offseason grade of A. Would you agree with that? I can see the perspective, which is given the mandate uh, to cut or given the mandate that, you know, given the idea that maybe this team wasn't going to, um, you know, compete as be- as built and they just trying to change it up. Um, I guess I like it. Um, I would rather the team had the resources to, you know, run an 80, you know, 90, 100 million, maybe $120 million payroll. And then they, then they could have kept their team from last year and added to it. Um, so, I mean, sometimes some part of that is frustrating. I know it's a larger story that has to do with 
you know, the park and the ongoing battles and, you know, where the, where, what, where the team's future is and all that. But, you know, I, I hesitate to give them a full A. I do like some of the players they've gotten. Yes. I think uh, Pache, you know, and, and Kevin Smith have such a high floor defensively that they're going to be probably major league regulars, average players at worst. And if something clicks offensively, they can do a lot better. Um, so I, I do think that that's, I mean, that's, Think of like Marcus Simeon when he came over, right? Like Marcus Simeon, oh, not really a shortstop, some defensive questions about position. You know, how much of the bat does he have? And, uh, and look at who Marcus Simeon is today. So I think they, they tried to get guys that were probably going to be average major leaguers and had a little upside beyond. And so for that part, I can give them some good grades, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the craziness of, you know, everything that we're going through right now is even – even guys that you trade now may not be guys that will be here when a new ballpark opens up. I mean, yeah, none of this is on like a one-year timeline. <laughs> no, it's not like there's going to be a new ballpark next year. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of hard to to read the tea leaves, and I guess that's why there's not that much of an investment in payroll, and that's why we had those trades. And it's frustrating as a fan. I mean, I can feel it. Um, it's, it's interesting to me as a national writer that's often in this clubhouse because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get closer with players and, you know, in Oakland, and then I start seeing them on other teams. <laughs> I just visited Marcus Simeon in Texas camp. It was great to see him. And, and then, then, then towards the end of their career, Hey, Steven votes back. These come guys, back. these guys always <laughs> come back. It's crazy. Jed Lowry, come on back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Simeon, I would bet you right now Simeon wears an A's uniform again at some point. <laughs> like finishes the contract that he just signed. <laughs> I would bet that, he, you know, he wants to be back home. He never wanted to leave. His wife wants to be here. Uh, I guarantee he comes back. <laughs> Speaking of the Coliseum, all 30 teams, this was a big deal with the Rockies, like a humidor. Like we put our cigars in humidors. I mean, do I need right. to do I need to tra- track down Dave Renetti and find out where this humidor is to keep my cigars for after games? So every team now is going to have a humidor. That's right, and uh, Oakland might be one of the more affected stadiums. It's it's tough because people think of humidity in terms of just how wet the air is, like mugginess, right? Yeah. And the hotter the hotter the temperature gets. Uh, the more water you can fit in the air. So yes, when you're in Atlanta, when you're in Baltimore in the summer uh, and it's 90 degrees out, that there's more water there in the air than in Oakland. However, if you normalize for temperature, there's more water in Oakland. <laughs> like it is actually humid in Oakland. I think people that live around here kind of, kind of feel that, you know, they know their towels don't dry that easily. You know, they know, they know when they go to the desert, they're like, wow, this is super dry. So um, you know, these parks here, given the certain the temperature that we're all at, and that's why I'm trying to find out how balls were stored across the league, because balls were supposed to be all stored at 70 degrees, which means te- the same temperature everywhere, which means then relative humidity matters, which means Oakland will be affected more than most parks. Um, and we're talking about adding about 7% homers. So I'm really interested to see how the season plays out in Oakland. It may be one of the most offensive-friendly uh, seasons ever uh, for the stadium. See, like, 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 like San Francisco, for example. Like, whether it's Candlestick Park or now Oracle, people are freezing 
in the summertime, going to the games, you watch a Giants game. I'll stay away from the A's. You're watching a Giants game. People got beanie caps on, scarves, uh-huh. multiple jackets. I would say. But it is wet. I, yeah, it it, wet. It's wet, but it's wet from the, 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 the atmosphere coming off the Pacific Ocean. I wouldn't say that's humidity, but I'm not a meteorologist. I mean, the the real the real the real thing that matters is how much water is in the air. That's what we're talking about. How yeah. much water is okay. in the air? Okay. Um, and so it is. It can be a little bit less water in the air. You know, when it's not as cold. When it's, it can be less water when it's when it's not as hot. But it's still water in the air, and it all matters where the ball is stored and how much water can get into the ball while it's being stored because it sits there for hours. And, you know, in Arizona and Denver, it used to get really dry and super bouncy and the ball would go even further. So now we put a humidor there and it puts water into the air around the ball. And so the ball is not as dry. Now, in the, in the wetter places, it'll take water out of the balls and make them more bouncy. So uh, there is some guesswork here. I'm trying to write about it right now, trying to figure out where. But the, the list by relative humidity says... San Diego is the most humid park in baseball, uh, and uh, second and third are Oakland and San Francisco. So it's going to take the humidors will do an opposite effect. What happens in Arizona and Colorado? Yeah, it will. Oh, okay. So so in Oakland, San Diego, and San Francisco, it will take the moisture out of the ball, and taking the moisture out will make it more like a golf ball, and it will just fly. Right. So. We're talking about adding maybe eight to feet, uh, eight to ten feet of distance uh, on long fly balls. So you know, kind of uh, wall scrapers, uh, you know, outs like even some outs at the warning track. Some of those would be homers. Should I like it or not like it? I kind of, I mean, I'll read your article. I read all your articles. I just should, should well, I be should I should I be pumped for it or should I be worried? It's it's tough because like for every extra homer your your offense hits, uh, you know your your pitching gives up one too, right? So it's not like it's super easy to figure out. Um, I would say that given the way that they just lost Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, I would say it might not be great news for the A. All right, so you, you you look at a lot of different things, and that's one of the reasons why we love having you on the program, one of the reasons why I think everybody should subscribe to The Athletic. You know, The Athletic to me is kind of like what we do here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. It's like it's not traditional, but it's better than what the traditional offers. And I know people are like, but do I have to pay for The Athletic? Yes, but you're paying for quality. The Athletic covers sports better than anybody. What you guys do, I, I, I tell everyone they should subscribe to it no question and you know what's what's one thing that going into this season that you've got you know you got your radar on that you go you know what I'm going to follow this throughout the season because I I don't know where it's going to go but it's going to be fascinating I think this humidity thing is really interesting to me because we've seen it happen in two parks uh, Denver and Colorado where it was a massive difference and now uh, we're going from 10 humidors in baseball to 30. So that's a pretty big difference. 20 new ballparks are going to be different next year. It's just a question of how different. And then uh, the other thing is the sticky stuff enforcement and the and ball gate and the whole, you know, that thing is just, is continuing where baseball has kind of announced that 
they're going to do more stringent uh, sticky stuff checks where they're going to, you know, check the hand top and bottom and like look a little closer at pitchers because there was some evidence that some of the spin came back late last season after there was a sticky stuff enforcement. So, uh, you know, and they have not developed a new pre-tacked ball or there was rumors of like a new uh, stickier rosin and they have not developed those in time for the season. Uh, so they're, they're not really giving players pitchers any options to do different and yet they're going to enforce it harder. So I'm wondering if uh, we may have a fairly like high offense year between the humidors uh, and the sticky stuff enforcement. Well, I just say this as an ex former bad pitcher myself, let's just say this, (laughs) let's just say this, let's just call it fair. Nobody gets anything. Pitchers don't get anything. Hitters don't get anything. Put your batting gloves away. Put your pine tar away and all the other crazy stuff you put on your bats. No shaving the bats. Let's just have everything be standard. Nobody gets anything extra, and let's just play. How about that? (laughs) All the the cottage industry around baseball of all the people that are – They've got some new innovations, some new nope. bat techniques, some new. Nope. <laughs> Everybody is. Everybody's playing the same. Hey, it's like in the NBA; they all play with just the same ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's some shoe technology, maybe, but you're right. <laughs> I I don't. I mean, Steph Curry doesn't have anything different on his hand that anybody else has. Yeah, it is. It is a little bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, if we want to take everything away from pitchers, let's take everything away from everybody and just play straight up. Yeah, I. This is like the 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 the. the it's just like the conversation we started with, you know, because you've got this like machine that's going to help us like communicate from the pitcher to the catcher, right? And what happens if they hack the machine? <laughs> so yeah, it's the same thing with like. <laughs> Well, we gave them, well, their hands weren't, you know, they couldn't grip the ball, so we gave them rosin. Well, then they figured out that, you know, rosin helps them spin the ball. And what if they put this other stuff on it? And then all of a sudden, they were using stuff that people were using in weightlifting competitions on their hands and, like, getting blisters because the ball was ripping skin off their fingers. <laughs> you know, like, that's what baseball is like. We, we give an inch and everybody takes a mile. Can, can, can we hack into people's... Uh, uh, Hawkeye or Rap Soto or can we hack into any of that stuff? Oh, I've I've actually heard some stuff about certain teams like having bad uh, Hawkeye or TrackMan setups um, and knowing themselves what the adjustments are, like that they can do mathematically. Be like it's like the same as being like, oh, the radar gun here is always off like two miles an hour, but everybody who comes to town is like, why is everybody like throwing? badly and they'd have to figure it out over time whereas the home team is like yeah yeah we know it's off two miles an hour everything's fine so <laughs> I've, I've heard that they do the similar thing with TrackMan. uh sometimes in the minor leagues where they have the settings all wrong and every other team has to figure it out <laughs> <laughs> oh is, are they doing that on purpose yes that's what i've heard <laughs> <laughs> no your guy's not throwing 99 he's throwing 84 i have no idea why today <laughs> i don't know what's going on <laughs> all right let's end on this it's springtime things are changing flowers are blooming you know we're getting ready for summer what is the beer of choice for our expert in the spring hmm 
I have really, you know, I heard something, something really interesting. Santé Darius makes these uh, really great IPAs that I like. And I heard that they do not, it's called rustic ales for a reason. They do not actually filter their water. And Santa Cruz has what most people think of as bad water quality. And so uh, there's a sort of mineral uh, sense to their IPAs that I really enjoy that is there because it's the Santa Cruz water. So I just think that's a fun story. It has a little bit to do with kind of wells and water and spring. So uh, Santa Darius IPAs, if you can get your hands on one of those. Yeah, because your palate definitely changes whether we're talking beer, talking food. Everything starts to change as you get out of winter. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to. I have a stout sitting in my fridge that I'm just staring at, and I'm like, I, I don't really want that right now. Well, yeah, but but the thing is, you got to drink them or you got to throw it out, right? Well, at least the stouts might last till next winter. <laughs> do 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 we still have the beer fridge in the garage? We do, we do. My wife keeps trying to put other stuff in it. She's she's big in in flowers, and so I find buds in there, and you know. I've, I've got to push them to the side. You know, that's my beer fridge. Yeah. This is, this is Eno's beer. I mean, for God's sakes, you have a beer named after you. You're kind of a big deal. <laughs> I need more space for beers with my face on it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you are the best, my friend. Once again, The Athletic, what you guys do. And really, you know, I don't know how much you talk to the guys in the NFL. or, But, I mean, everything on The Athletic, whether it's college football, football, NBA, uh, college basketball, obviously what's going on now, you guys are second to none. It's the best sports journalism going. So I will always promote, my friend. You be well, and I can't wait to see you. All right. Thanks a lot. Eno Saris of The Athletic. Good stuff. Humidors. Fascinating about the humidor. Eight to ten f- additional feet on a fly ball. But even though – so it's not it's not necessarily we how we view humidity. We view humidity as warm and wet. Yeah. And really what it is when you're talking about our teams out west, they're just dealing with the wet. There's not heat behind it, which I found I I, I find interesting because, as you know, going to the Coliseum, it's freaking cold. Yeah. And it's misty and it's wet. But now that's going to make the ball go further? Is that good news? By the way, coming up next, we're already seeing it happen. The different views all over the place. It's a shorter spring. Who's going to benefit? You'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. We've got a little A's baseball coming your way here at 105 from Hoho Cam, where it is going to be the Cincinnati Reds up against your Oakland Athletics. Reds made some news earlier. 
their number number one overall prospect, Hunter Green, who throws 102 miles an hour, the former number two overall pick in a draft, made the rotation. He's going to be pitching on April 10th. It will be his MLB debut. They're gonna they're gonna start his clock. Uh, I guess so. See, they're not worried about start. Like, unlike the Pirates, who said, "Oh no, cruise down to the minors." The Reds said, uh, "We don't care. We're gonna let uh, Hunter Green pitch." So we're gonna be previewing the Minnesota Twins coming up here at twelve thirty, which will be interesting as they've made some some moves, and we'll see how that is gonna work out for them as they unloaded and maybe loaded up Sonny Gray. Be interesting to see what Sonny Gray looks like in a Minnesota Twins uniform throwing to the Sanchino. You're telling me you're not excited to see Dylan Bundy pitch for the Twins? The great Dylan Bundy? They, I will say, you know, if if Byron Buxton stays healthy, he could be a top three MVP guy. That but, is, but, <laughs> that is excuse me. That is a capital I with yeah. a capital F. Yeah, if. If. Um, Carlos Correa? Uh, yeah, Correa, another one. Oh, they brought someone else in. Uh, oh, they got Gio Urshela now to replace Donaldson. So they made a lot of moves uh, to, to try to contend in a not-so-competitive AL Central behind the, the White Sox. So we'll, we'll see what they, what they uh, how they look this year with uh, Dan Hayes from the Athletic, another athletic writer. All right, so something that I saw today in – Ken Rosenthal's article that made me laugh was start talking to the executives around the league. Let's talk to the executives and how do they see, you know, because these executives have had a lot of opinions about shortened stuff. We had to deal with a shortened season in 2020. This year we're dealing with a shortened spring training. So what's going to happen in a shortened spring training? Well, some executives believe you know, by the time we start these games for real, this is when the the period of dead arm starts for pitchers. So we could see a tremendous amount of offense. Forget the weather is still bad. We could see a lot of offense. And then you get certain executives who say, well, because you can carry two extra guys instead of 26, 28, you could have two extra pitchers. Wait for it. Teams could be more aggressive with their bullpens at the start of the year. Yeah, isn't that awesome? More bullpen guys. Let's get her going. Yes, more six five faceless, nameless, hundred throw mile per hour throwing guys. I'm I whatever, it's fine with me, but I know a lot of people are not ha- would not be happy with that. I don't know how that's fine with you. I don't know how pitching changes and the more pitching changes there are, which means there's less action with more balls not being put into play is something you're okay with as a fan. It's the same thing with this. It's I'm the same way with the uh, with the shift. It's a it's a it's a strategy. Wait a minute. St- shift games being played. People are shifting. Yes, that's why I think the game way you- the, the game is actually still in play. Saying you like a lot of relievers means you're adding forty. Pl- I figured it out. If every pitching change is two minutes and 30 seconds, right? Yeah. Okay, well, that cl- that two minutes and 30 seconds does not count from the couple, to couple X amount of seconds it takes for the manager to say, okay, I'm now going to go out for him to walk out, take the ball, the ball guy gives the ball to the manager, the pitcher starts walking off the mound, that's when we throw to commercial break. 
good. Some, no, in some ballparks, it's even worse. They have to run in from the bullpen, where in Oakland, it's right here on the field. If you're running from deep, like San Francisco, you're running from the bullpen out in right field, that takes more time. Okay, so now we have a two minutes and 30 seconds for commercial time. Guy's got to throw his eight pitches. Then they got all come to blah, 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 come together. What's the situation? We've now wasted well over three minutes. And now if one team does it seven times and the other team does it eight times, you've now added over 40 minutes to a game of non-action. And you're going to say, I'm cool with that? I'm going to say, BS, you're not watching the entire game. I feel like the bull, the way that people deploy their – You're cool with it in the box score. You're cool with it in the outcome. But as someone sitting there watching it the entire game, there's no way you can say you're cool with that. I just feel like it's a strategy. That's what it is, the way you use your bullpen. You're not answering the question. Well, no. I, I mean, I like seeing all the stuff that happens, but do I like watching the commercial breaks? No. No one does. How about being at the game? Do you like extra 40-something minutes added to the game when you're there and it's not action? No. Not only anyone does. That's my point. But I think that the this is a this well, you said they're gonna see more bullpen. Once again, we should do a poll. We should start polling our fans. Well, you want an update on the poll that I put up on math? Yes. Right now, uh, let me refresh. Ninety seven votes so far and within less than an hour. Are you a fan of math? Sixty four percent yes. Into math? Into math. I said big debate on Ace Cast Live currently. Are you a fan of math? Yes or no? Sixty-four percent said yes. <laughs> wow, might need to do a new poll. Are you cool with all the pitching changes that add? And you got to put a length in. We'll decide a length. I think it's forty minutes. It's got to be thirty-five to forty minutes that add to the game. Well, you said three. If a team makes seven pitching changes and it's three minutes, that's twenty-one minutes, and then eight is twenty-four times. You know, combined, that's forty-five minutes. That's a, it's it's at least thirty to thirty-five. Yeah, depending on how many pitchers you – I mean, if, unless you have a rarity where Max Scherzer's going eight, but that, how often does that happen? Has that ever happened in the history of game where the pitcher goes eight innings? Uh, not recently. Well, that's – Let's look at the number of complete games the last few years. So, it's like, you, you, you know, these games are – I mean, what are our – I mean, how long have our spring training games been going? Uh, we pulled up the game from last night. So I mean, our spring training games have been going forever. The first one was like four hours. Yeah, it's just – it's – and there's not even any commercial breaks. Like the, it's not like you know during the season where we're on TV and there's mandatory commercial breaks you have to take and all that. Like you, you, you know the you know the cliche from the broadcasters would be, oh, it's spring training. This is how it always goes. Um, you're not doing pitching changes. Uh, last night's game against the Dodgers, two hours fifty three minutes. So actually not bad. That's trending in a good direction. Two hours and fifty three minutes to watch a bunch of guys that are not even. <laughs> well, let's see. There was only four pitches used by us and five used by the Dodgers. Yeah, so if there was actual pitching changes, like how we do a regular game, it would have been well over three. Wasn't it a few years ago when the Giants and uh, Ace played in that played the exhibition series before the season started? Kapler used nine different pitchers for every inning. He used a different pitcher every inning. Where he staffed it? Yeah, like, yeah, but there's no problem with that. You're yeah. just using a different guy every inning. That didn't affect the outcome. I think I think it was something like he used like nine different pitchers at that game, and there could have been more where he changed it, but. I think that might have been for the three batter minimum rule because it wasn't last year the first year we did that. No, no, no. That he, the, he used this is pre-COVID, so it would have been, or it might have been the start of COVID. It was 2019. Cause, yeah, because I was a, no. He two, used a different pitcher for every inning 
but that's not changing the time of the game. Yeah, and that was it was actually 2020 because that was his first year. That was just the exhibition series against us. He used all those pitchers, and I think it was at San Francisco. Like 2020 was a shortened year. That was his first year as the manager of the Giants. Bochy did 2019. We didn't have the Bay Bridge series. Then when did he? When did this happen? Look at the puzzled look on your face. But I remember. Well, I know. What, what? Am I wrong? Oh my god! Dude, maybe, it was 2020. The we, maybe it was, was a, the maybe it was, was last a, year. It was the COVID year. We didn't. Did we do the Bay Bridge series last year? Let me. Uh, now I have to look. I I can't remember last time we did that. I just remember him using nine different pitchers in a game at least. Yeah, I I think I remember that, but he did it for all nine innings, so there wasn't pitching changes, so it didn't add to the time of the game. If you if you have a different guy every inning or use it like, like use a different guy every three innings. I'll Google this. You you're not changing the timing of how long the game's gonna go. It's not a it's not Kapler going out and taking the ball and. But here we have all these executives. I you know. I don't know how to, especially with this humidor thing. Who knows? Who knows if offense is going to be the thing or if defense is going to prevail early. The injury bug, for sure, will be something that will be brought up, no question about it. I thought Jim Bowden did an article about things that you're going to see in the 2020s. He has some predictions. The Seattle Mariners will win their first World Series. And it is hard to believe there are still teams that have never won a World Series. But the Seattle Mariners were an expansion team, but they are one of the teams who have never won a World Series. He's got Shohei Otani will win multiple MVPs. I wouldn't bet against that. Wander Franco will win three batting titles. Batting average doesn't matter, but he puts it in there. I'm being told batting average doesn't matter. Too simplistic, something created a long time ago. He has a great OPS, though. We'll see. Juan Soto will be traded and then become the first half a billion dollar MLB player. I agree with that. I think he could be. And I will disagree with that. Because Juan Soto will never be worth that kind of money. Uh, I think I I think if he's going to get that money, it won't be with Washington. He already turned down the what was it, thirteen years or twelve years, three hundred. How reportedly. is five hundred million dollars to one guy going to make you a great team? It's a great question. How does five hundred million dollars? Ask the Angels how that's working out. <laughs> Ask the Nationals how good they were last year with him. I mean, he I mean, was I great, just, but the team wasn't. I, I, I'm just, how, what, like, like, what executive? And Juan Soto, I know I, he seems like a super kid. He's 23 years old. He seems like a really nice, and we've actually, I mean, who was it? Was it uh, Chip Hale or somebody we had on talked about what a nice kid he is? I don't know if he continues to be a nice kid, but we have no reason to think that Juan Soto at any point will be a bad guy. But Juan Soto making $500 million for what? To give me good numbers? I mean, 
Like, at what point is that just dumb business? If somebody does it, I'm all for them making it. I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hate on Juan Soto if someone's dumb enough to give him that kind of money. But how much I, – I would love to see the numbers from a business standpoint. How much does one player change the entire outlook of a franchise from a business standpoint? Because the ultimate failure we saw on this – was Alex Rodriguez, as a free agent, young, had everything going for him, and Boris had this whole booklet of that he did for all of his clients. I'm sure he still does. But this whole booklet about, I can't remember how many pages it was, but it was like a book about Alex Rodriguez, his free agency, and by signing Alex Rodriguez, it changed the business of your organization. Literally would change... Like, what he would do financially for you, how he would change your brand, how you do all that. What did Alex Rodriguez do for the Texas Rangers? So I don't have the cricket sound effect, but uh, nothing. He won an MVP. So what would be different between <laughs> Alex Rodriguez and Juan Soto? Uh, the only thing you could say Soto's done is he's won a World Series already. That He's helped them that way, but that wasn't what What's Juan Soto going to be different than Alex Rodriguez? And they put up. They both put up good numbers. So there's you can't argue with that. But yeah, do, do you got to give me a difference of why there isn't really one. Alex Rodriguez was paid a record amount of money to change the Texas Rangers, and didn't happen. To that, Juan Soto will sign for five hundred billion dollars, and he will do what Alex or what really any free agent. I don't know what free agent has. Like, like, take Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper won an MVP, but, like, did the business of the Philadelphia Phillies, has it changed really because of Bryce Harper? Have their books, I mean, have things changed? I mean. They won the longest postseason droughts going right now. The last time they the postseason was about 2000. And that's just looking at the aspects of wins and losses. We don't get to look at their books, but does it change season tickets? Does it change – you know, your, your cable deal is already your cable deal. Like, what does one player do for an organization long term? Does it change the outlook? Like, Wayne Gretzky changed a sport. Wayne Gretzky not only changed the L.A. Kings, Wayne Gretzky changed basically hockey in a certain part of the United States of America. Like, there wouldn't be a San Jose Sharks there wouldn't be an Anaheim Ducks. Are they, are they yes. still Anaheim? Yeah. Uh, there wouldn't be a Dallas Stars. There wouldn't be – there shouldn't have ever been an Arizona Coyotes. But hockey went to warm weather places because of Wayne Gretzky. That's a person that changed – he changed – he changed not only a franchise, he changed a sport by his, by his moving. Don't forget Tampa and Florida also. Which it wasn't – he wasn't a free agent. He was just traded. Yeah. That's the power of one player. I'll give you one. Like, Tiger Woods changed the sport. Alex Rodriguez didn't change the Rangers, didn't change the Yankees, and he literally is one of the biggest free agents that we've ever seen. So, like, what's Juan Soto? Nice kid, tremendous talent, stays healthy, most likely be a Hall of Famer, but 
500 billion like how many bobbleheads Mil- million million 500 mi- 500 million how how many how, what's Juan Soto going to do for my business It's a fair it's a fair question to ask How much has Fernando Tatís Jr. and Manny Machado truly changed the business of the San Diego Padres it's a good question because we don't have access to their books. It's improved attendance. Yeah, to help their attendance last year. But is that worth the six hundred million plus guaranteed for these two guys? The 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 one that I always think of is when we talk about it all the time. What what player has more promotions every year than any other player in baseball? Mike Trout. How many playoff series have the Angels won? Zero. How many how many uh how playoff many games have they yeah. won? Zero. Zero. How many times have they been in the playoffs with Mike Trout? Once. One time. What the best player in the game, and people say arguably could be the greatest player ever. They've made the playoffs one time. Now, he signed it. His extension was 10 years, $360 million. But I'll give you another player who financially did something for you. And he's actually on this list of the 20 things that Jim Bowden sees uh, in the 2020s. Barry Bonds has not voted into the Hall of Fame by the committee. When my children ask me who's the best overall hitter I ever saw, I never hesitate. I quickly respond with Barry Bonds. This is Jim Bowden, former longtime executive, uh, a GM, what, three times? Reds, Nats, who else? I think it was just Reds and Nats. Just just twice, Reds and Nats? So he said, uh, it's a real shame that he's not, in the Hall of Fame, I understand why, though, and I respect the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Famers who don't want him in Cooperstown. But I also believe several players who have already been inducted into the Hall use performance and happy performance enhancing drugs during their playing days. In most cases, no one will ever know for certain who used and who didn't. So I think we should let players in and include all the evidence that surrounds each player in his exhibit however if when bonds makes the today's game era ballot i don't believe the committee will vote him in at least not based on the current temperature bonds is one of the reasons why the giants have that ballpark you want to talk about a guy who changed a a, and he was an interesting case bonds changed Barry Bonds, you can can say, changed the future of the San Francisco Giants. They saved the team from going to St. Petersburg. Peter McGowan went out and signed Barry Bonds, technically illegally. He he wasn't the owner of the team yet when he guaranteed Bonds that the the power and the ownership was was in transition. Pissed off everybody in baseball. But Barry Bonds, they built, and everything was around Barry Bonds. Bonds helped and is a reason why then Pac Bell Park was built. So there's very few players that have changed their sport or changed the, the complete outlook of a franchise. Bonds is one of them. Like, look at Griffey. What did Griffey do for Cincinnati? It's funny you mentioned that. Bones, Bones won assigned him, I believe. Traded for him. You know, what did Pujols do for Anaheim? <laughs> uh, well, one playoff series. I mean, it's like, it's like, I, I don't get, I don't get why, uh, 
I mean, I have the list of $300 million contracts, and we don't have to go through. I'll just give you the guys. We can go through them maybe in depth on Friday, but Mookie Betts, he won a World Series. Okay, that's one guy. Uh, Mike, okay, so, okay, but are you? But he, what, what are we basing? Okay, the, he 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 was on a team that won the World Series. Yes, but he was, I think, what got them over the hump that year. And it was sixty game season, but he did help them a lot. Did it change who the Dodgers are? I, I think so. I mean, what what did they do before? What, well, they uh, they've had more people go to their games than any other sports team in in the United States. Are the Dodgers forever changed because of Mookie Betts? I could argue, I think so, because they won that World Series. <laughs> you are, dude, you are, you are unbelievable. <laughs> uh, ah, you're so small, Mike. You think the Dodgers, who signed a record television contract before Mookie Betts, I don't even think he was in baseball at the time when they signed their Time Warner deal. Probably not. He was 2014. So what, what, what do you think changes the franchise more, the record cable deal or Mookie Betts? The cable deal, but the World Series helps. They already had the cable deal. Well, I'm saying with the World Series, with him signing there, uh, I'll go back to it's a 2020 World Series. Couldn't have fans in the stands. They did not get to capitalize on the World Series the way a World Series. They had no parade. They had. Yeah, no, I know. But I'm just going from. I, 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 I'm I, looking I, at the success of what. Tired he, of beating you down on business. Uh, go ahead. Mike Trout. Well, I mean, he's helped bring people to the ballpark. Neither, neither of these guys have changed the franchises. Francisco Lindor. Nope. Uh, we already mentioned Tatis. Nope. Uh, Bryce Harper. Nope. How about John Carlo? Don't call me Mike Stanton. Nope. With the Marlins or Yankees. Uh, we already mentioned Manny Machado. Garrett Cole. Nope. And then we have Corey Seager. I don't who, think anyone. I mean, the Yankees are the Yankees. Yeah. Corey Seager. Who knows? He just signed it. And they have a new ballpark already. So we'll see how they do the next couple of years. But will it change who the Rangers are? Most likely not. And what I mean by that, it's just not a playoff series. We, if Alex Rodriguez didn't change who the Rangers were, I don't think Corey Seager's going to Are you going to change the Texas Rangers business forever? No. That's what, that's what I get with Mookie Betts. Great that Mookie Betts won, but does, does that change the Dodgers? Can any, financially, can, can any player ever like, for, especially for the, the 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 big market teams who have the history? Can you really change their brand and who they are long term? I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to think of like even guys more modern that would have you could throw into that category. Do we do we have anyone? I mean, did David Ortiz really change the Red Sox? Uh, let's see who else. Who else is another major player? Um, Let's go through the list. You already mentioned Griffey. Griffey. I mean, I mean Griffey. I mean, did Griffey help get this, the stadium built in Seattle? No. I mean, they did save baseball in Seattle. What ninety five? That playoff run. Griffey's he, first year. With, he was his first year with the Reds was two thousand. I think he was. God, I should know this, but wasn't he already gone by the time Safeco? Uh, Safeco now T-Mobile Park opened, I think, in 2000 or 2001. Let's see. Was he gone by then? It opened in 1999. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., if it wasn't 2000, then 99 was his first year with the Reds. His first year with the Reds was 2000. So he was in Seattle when, when uh, Safeco opened. 
He played it. He played one year. It sa- it says on it said on Wikipedia that Safe Safeco Safeco Field was open, or Safeco Park was open on July fifteenth, nineteen ninety nine. They opened in the middle of the year. Yeah, opened July fifteenth, nineteen ninety nine. They traded Griffey the first year of the ballpark? They traded him where he was a free agent. I thought he signed with the Reds. No, they had to trade him. Oh, then they, yeah, they traded him the next year. That's so fascinating. I mean. Ken, Ken Griffey Jr., friend of mine. Yeah. I mean, he. From our encounter in Japan in the uh, in the elevator. I mean, I, I think he might be a guy that you can say that got. I mean, that team helped save Seattle baseball, but Griffey was a huge part of that. Desire to like closer. I'm trying to. Did he get traded? I thought he was a free agent. Yeah, Griffey was traded to the Reds for Brett Tomko, Mike Cameron, and signed a nine-year, hundred and twelve million dollar deal. Okay, so he did resign there. Okay, they didn't finish there. He finished uh, with the. He went to the White Sox after, right? Now the question, I did. I wonder, did he play? Are we sure he? There's. You're trying to say they traded him the first year at Safeco? There's no way. Right? I'll look it up and see uh, what what he did, if if it was he did play there. But says he, he was on the team in 99. Dan Hayes joins us from The Athletic. He covers the Minnesota Twins, who have been wheeling and dealing this offseason here on A's Cast Live. Dan, how are we? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. So what's it like? I mean, the last time I was there, I was uh, I was actually there with the Raiders at the time, and I went over to uh, I went over to the ballpark, which I think Target Target Field is one of the best that we have in Major League Baseball. Um, there's been a lot of success in Minnesota, a lot of home runs. Uh, there's been some change, but how fired up are people for 2022 in the Minnesota Twins? I, I think they are very fired up but they would be a lot more fired up if they were able to maybe acquire uh, a certain starting pitcher or two. Uh, one, one of the guys maybe on the, uh, the team you guys cover, but um, yeah. I think for the most part, they are, they are pretty fired up. The Carlos Correa move uh, last week really got things going for sure. I absolutely love that deal. And I got multiple reasons why you ready. You get them the hell out of our division. We don't have to deal with them anymore. That's number one. But number two is, in the end, you still, with that ballpark, want to make a splash. He's a big name. The Twins did not have to make this stupid, crazy, long-term commitment that they'll regret. It could be a one-year deal, a two-year deal, a three-year deal. Whatever it turns out, you got a premier player in his prime, you're paying him good, but you're getting his prime years, and in the end, you won't get stuck with a bad deal. Are people looking at it that way? Absolutely, and, and even if it is one year, and, and, and we'll go into another part of that uh, as to why it's great for him, but even if it is just the one year, you like you said, you are getting a, a premier superstar who chose the Twins in his prime and, and came here um, – I think that's something that people are fired up about because the twins just don't do stuff like this. It usually requires a trade to get a guy like this to come in. And you're right. This is a team that look, first of all, pretty much all teams can afford the kind of contract that he wants. It just makes it more difficult with their circumstances. I mean, 
eating up 35 million. You know, the, the twins have generally run about $130 million in payroll the last couple of years. And that's basically a quarter of your payroll right there. And if he gets hurt, your season is kind of stunk. Um, but that said, you don't really want to commit to the tenure for that reason. You know, like the, the twins signed Byron Buxton in December to an extension. And Byron Buxton has a history of injury issues. It's just been his his thing. He's only played in more than 120 games once since 2017. That was 2017. But he is a premium player when he's on the field. So how do you get around it? And the Twins found a really creative way with him, which was they pay him a base of $15 million after this year. Um, if he wins the MVP, he gets paid appropriately. It's sort of like the pre-arb pool that just got negotiated into the new CBA. If Byron Buxton shows up in the awards, he gets bonuses up to $10 million. So he can make $25 million. That's the way you, the Twins have to, been able to keep a star player around is with creative contracts. This one was really creative too. And it's great for Carlos Correa. If he has a fantastic year, he gets to re-enter as a free agent next year and get the $350 million he wants. Uh, it, it, like, it sets it up great for him. If he gets hurt, he can come back next year still make 35 million and he'll be 29 when he becomes a free agent. So it, it really is win-win in a bunch of ways. I, uh, I think that the Royals, the Tigers, the Guardians and the, uh, the White Sox are definitely fearful of what you said about, uh, you know, the, the A's no longer have to face Carlos Correa. Now he gets to go to the AL central. I'm sure those teams are not very happy about it. He does a lot for the twins uh, with fans and with the lineup. Well, I, I thought the trade with the Yankees was so interesting. Kiner Falefa comes over, and then all of a sudden, our man J.D., you know how much we love Josh Donaldson, ends up going to New York. They take his money. Kiner Falefa goes with him. And here comes the Sanchino and Gio Urshela. What did you make of the deal, and how do you think the uh, Twins make out in this one? Well, at the time, it was definitely a let's see what else they have up their sleeve because – Look, you gave up Josh Johnson, who was pretty much your best player for the, the bulk of last season. Um, and, and that one was a little bit of a head scratcher at the time, especially because they gave up Mitch Garver in the uh, Kiner Falefa trade. And, and it looked like they were going for another good defensive shortstop. Um, but now in, with, with the complete picture there, I think it's great. You know, you, the only way you're able to get Carlos Correa is by freeing up the 25 million that you had to basically pay Josh Donaldson each of these next two years. The twins were more than happy to give Donaldson the four and, and 92 million that they did going into 2020. But there also is the expectation that, Hey, this is his age 36 and 37 seasons. And we're really paying for those first two years just to get him in here and help us win. And those 36 and 37 seasons, they might be slowed. He might be hurt. They're, you know, they, they might be eating it there. And so to free themselves of those contracts in, in years that they expect this production to slow is, is definitely a win, given that they spent the money. They had to spend it. They were looking at Trevor's story all week leading up to Carlos Correa. Uh, it looked like Trevor's story was going to become a twin. I think they had about a, a four-year, $100 million-plus offer on the table. And then the Red Sox and Giants got – involved and it got to six years and they weren't going to go six years for for story even though it only would have taken them to about age 35 they just they they liked him for the next four and fortunately carlos correa fell on their lap and and that was because the lockout it's just scott boris made the point at the press conference 
He picked up Carlos Correa as a client in January. Uh, Correa left his previous agent after lockout began, and Morris basically laid it out for him. Getting 10 years and $350 million right before the season in this little window is going to be impossible. Teams don't have the money. Um, so, so he took the deal with the Twins, and, and it really changes everything because, man, Gary Sanchez getting out of New York, that's a scary proposition. Gary Sanchez is said to be thrilled, and, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him. Uh, just been away from camp for the last couple of days, but everybody's talking about how happy he is. And we saw the kind of player he was in 16 and 17. And then you just, you know, you get the New York Post headlines. You get the media breathing down your, de- your neck every day and fans. I mean, honestly, he's not a great catcher, but he is a very good hitter potentially. And, and even that went away the last couple of years. The Twins hope to tap into that. And obviously, Gio Urshela can hit a little, but he's a great glove too. And so it really, when you add in Correa, it, it all makes a lot more sense. And I think it's a very good direction for the Twins to have gone. You know, one thing that a lot of people didn't think about with our ball club is, you know, a lot of success three straight years in the postseason, even though we didn't make it last year, still 86 wins. So a really a good four-year run for the Oakland Athletics. But we were long in the tooth. You know, everybody always thinks about the A's are rebuilding. We were, like, technically the oldest team in baseball last year. If you looked at our average age of players for position players and pitchers, and if my memory is correct, I think the Twins last year, weren't weren't the Twins one of the oldest teams in baseball? Yeah, they absolutely. Nelson Cruz and, and Josh Donaldson uh, leading the way with uh, early bedtimes, basically. Uh, it was definitely an old lineup we had. Cruz at 40 in his age 41 season, Donaldson 35 going into opening day. Um, they've gotten younger. They still have a really good core that's that's starting to get into that middle age. Um, whether it's Buxton and you know uh, Polanco, Kepler, Sano, all these guys are hitting that 27, 28 age. Um, it, it's a really good time for them still to peak and. They frankly wanted all these other guys, the Urshelas and Sanchez and Correas, Sonny Gray, because they've all got playoff experience and playoff victories. And and one thing that people always talk about here, it really doesn't matter what the Twins do in the regular season until they end the postseason losing streak. It's uh, 18 games. It's the longest postseason losing streak in North American major sports history. Um, It's ugly. It goes back you know, a long time. And I think fans want to see it end, uh, you know, even losing a series three, one, if they get that one, I think they think the curse is over, but uh, it's, it's the goal. And I think that the twins wanted Correa who's played in 79 postseason games, 20 world series games to come in and show them how to get over the hump. They thought they had that with Nelson Cruz and they thought that they had that with Josh Donaldson. Uh, Donaldson, his only chance to be in the playoffs with the twins, he hurt his hamstring right before the 2020 playoffs and Byron Buxton got a concussion, taking a fastball to the head like three days before the postseason. That team lost to the Astros real quick and the Astros made that deep run uh, in 2020. And that's just how it's been for the twins lately. And so this is basically built to get them to October and get rid of that streak. And I got to think that a lot of people like the acquisition of Sonny Gray, who found his groove with his old pitching coach back in Cincinnati, but he gets out of pitching in a band box, and now Sonny gets to pitch 
at Target Field, which is more pitcher friendly. Tell me about the excitement for the former athletic. Yeah, there, there's a lot. There's no question. I, again, I think it would be even better if there was like a Frankie Montas pitching in front of him or, you know, Sean Manaya pitching right behind him somewhere in that rotation. Um, the twins still need pitching and, and gray was a good start. They, they went into the off season with three openings in the rotation. Uh, the, the two that were holdovers, Bailey over and Joe Ryan, uh, Joe Ryan, a Marin County guy, um, you know, young guys with a lot of potential, but also with 25 major league starts combined. So they went in knowing they had a lot of work to do. Sonny Gray came over in that flurry of trades they made. He was the middle trade on March 13th. I think he, uh, you know, it was the Donaldson trade that night, Gray during the day. And, and it really gave them a good veteran to put up, up in the front of the rotation. They really needed it. Um, and, and he is, Maybe a little behind right now. I, I think pitchers in general across baseball are a little behind. He threw three innings in a minor league game the other day. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him stretch past four or five innings uh, until the, the end of the month, just because they're not going to rush these guys. They know what a quick ramp up can do to pitchers and nobody wants to hurt their pitchers. So I, I think Sonny Gray is coming along slowly, but obviously a, a key guy to add to the rotation. You know, if it was 2015 and they said, hey, Chris Archer just signed, you'd be like, wow, that's a kind of a big <laughs> deal. Uh, but the problem is it's 2021. I know they're not paying him much, but what what are the expectations there? I, I think it's really to get them through the first month. Honestly, they may be paying him $3.2 million to get through April because the Twins do like that they have a lot of young arms. They have Josh Winder who – was solidly in the mix and, and would be in the rotation if there's an injury or a delay for any of these guys. Uh, Josh Winder, a lot of good stuff, but also just inexperienced. They have, you know, three or four guys behind him, Jordan Balazovic. They have, um, you know, Matt Cantorino, a couple guys that they really like. All their guys were sort of hurt last year in the minor leagues. Simeon Woods Richardson, they're very high on him. He came over in the Jose Barrios trade, but you know, he was having a good year, and then he decided to go to Team USA, and, and they didn't pitch him. You know, they, there was like a 40-day window where he was basically throwing out of the bullpen, and he got into one qualifying game for Team USA. Great experience for him, but also a development killer. Uh, stunted his growth a little bit because he, he wasn't used by Mike Sosha. So, you know, they, they have a lot of young guys who they need to just give a little room to breathe and get ready for the majors, and I think that that's – why Archer is here. He's throwing 60 pitches in his bullpen. He threw one today down in Florida. Um, he's, he's basically ready to go. And, and if there's anything more than April, they're, they're ecstatic. You know, I mean, we, we know his injury issues. He hasn't pitched. I think he's, he threw 23 starts in 2019. Uh, last year it was just five starts, six games and um, very savvy veteran still has the two good pitches. And, and I think they think they can get, four or five innings out of him. And if they can do that every turn through for a little while, that's, that's a great thing for them. Um, any, any help there is a bonus, but obviously he's had a couple of years of hiccups. All righty. 80 and a half, a win total for the Minnesota twins. Are we going over or are we going under? What do you think this ball club's going to be? Uh, are Billy and Dave getting on the phone with Derek Falvey? That's the question. Um, if that happens, 80 over for sure. I, I do think the Twins will 
really try uh, and add more pitching. And, and they have the farm system to go out and get it. Uh, I, they have the drive to go get it. It's just when, when that becomes available to them. If they have to wait till July, it'll make it a little trickier. I mean, we could see Carlos Correa traded at the deadline himself if things aren't working out. But, you know, last year they traded Jose Barrios. They traded Nelson Cruz. Um, they had the tough part of their schedule coming up, and they went 29 and 28 down the stretch because their offense is that good. Well, their offense is better this year, and their defense is better with Correa at shortstop and Byron Buxton healthy. It is going to be one of the better defenses in the league if Byron Buxton is on the field. I, I think 80 and over is uh, is pretty easy. Man, I tell people all the time, Target Field is all the all, – I mean – the Viking Stadium, hey, but yeah. Target Field is off. I love, like, out in left field. We were there during college football season, and we're watching the game. But you look up, they had all the college football games on. It was like, but left field, yep. when you're up there, it feels like you're in a sports bar. It is. It, look, I, I, I'm very biased. I love Oracle Park growing up in the Bay Area. It's, it's one of my favorite places on earth. You know, Dodger Stadium, even though I hated that place growing up, it's a beautiful spot. You know, obviously Wrigley, Fenway, Safeco is great. Pittsburgh is great. Target Field's probably a top seven or eight ballpark in uh, in baseball, and and that's that's one of the reasons that I uh, really enjoy covering the Twins is that it's just a beautiful place to go to, and uh, especially during the summer. I mean, April. Let's let's not uh, let's not talk about April. Let's just skip to like May 10th every year weather-wise. Uh, but once the once the temperatures start warming up, it is a spectacular place to watch baseball. Where are you from originally? Roanoke Park, baby. Wow. How are you hanging in in these, these Minnesota winters? My cousin lives there, oh. and he'll tell me, it's like, oh, yeah, it's 13 below. Hey, I, what made it worse is I went to San Diego State and moved <laughs> directly from San Diego. So lay, layer up. That's the good thing about clothes, you can put more on and, and stay warm that way. Yeah, I grew up right next to San Diego State. I grew up in San Diego. I can't imagine you going from San Diego to Minnesota. Uh, yeah, it was a it was it took a little while. The mental the mental challenge was pretty big, but I'm there now. Hey, well, great stuff, and let's have you on again soon. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you, Dan. Dan Hayes, who covers the Twins for the Athletic. I'm going to go the over. I'm going to take the over in this division for the uh, Minnesota Twins. They just, they, they, it got bad late. I just don't, I mean, Cleveland's going to stink. Kansas City's going to stink. Detroit's going to stink. So basically, I got to be a 500 ball club to win. I don't even have to be a 500. You said what, 80 and a half? Yeah, they have them at, uh, DraftKings had them at 80 and a half. So I have to be under 500 to win. I like them, too, with you. I don't think Detroit's going to stink. I think they're going to be better than you think. How better? Well, they signed. They got a better starting pitcher. No, no, no. How better? Like, how much better? Yeah. I think they could push close to 70, 70 80 They wins. stink. If you're it's telling better, me. It's better than what they've been. <laughs> true, but you get where I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying you got three teams in your division who are not going to sniff 500. In theory. Yeah, most likely not. Okay. Could be wrong, but White Sox are winning the division. They're going to roll out their jocks and win the division. 
Yeah, they're pretty good. They okay. Got a, they got a nice little roster. But you, you're only playing them for the last time 19 times. After, what, next year is when the new schedule starts? Yeah, 2023. So you won't play everybody 19 times. Yeah, it'll be a balanced yeah, schedule. Yeah, you're playing every team, I think. Yeah. So I get to play teams that are worse than me a ton. You're to, to Twins, all I have to do is win 81 games, and I'm a winner. I would bet on that. Not that we bet on this show. I'm just saying if I was, I would bet, I would bet they're going to be at least a game under 500. Yeah. But you tell me all four teams in the division are going to be under 500? All four? Um, They were last year. All four? Are you giving me small sam- – are we going small sample size again? No, because I do think Minnesota's going to be better. I don't think Kansas City's going to be as bad as, as they're projected. I guess that depends on how well their young starting pitching develops. Some, some people are Kansas City winning in the 60s. Ooh, that's that's a bit low. 60s, uh, 68, 69. I've been starting to look over projections. I mean, they, 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 everywhere you look, projections, only the White Sox and the Twins have more than 80 wins. Let's pull up Pakota and see what Pakota tells us. Pakota's always low. Uh, let me see if I can even get to Pakota. Sometimes I can't even open it because I'm not a baseball prospectus uh, member. Let's see. Pakota standings were updated as of. Monday, they in the AL Central they have the Twins winning eighty six games. Am, am, am I a genius? Yeah. And then Cleveland. I remember I said they only need to win eighty one. Yeah, Cleveland. Remember, for us to win, we just need eighty one. They're saying eighty six. Cleveland seventy seven, uh, Kansas City seventy. And Detroit, 67. Detroit, I, I think they're going to be better than 67 okay, wins. Well, it kind of shows how you're seeing it. You had Detroit being the comeback kids, and they got them at what? 67. I All think right. they're, they're going over that number on Pakoda. Uh, well, maybe you need to make a little trip to the great state of Nevada, the Silver State. Yeah, no, but I don't. I think Detroit's going to win more than 67 games. They got, they got two of the best pro- top prospects in baseball that could be called up, and they got – well, I don't know. I don't know. What what Javi Baez is going to show up for them? Well, they well, have your guy, Akil Badu, who I expect to have a really nice year this year. I mean, the guy hit a home run every day at the start of the season, and after that was – He was okay. This is his first year. I mean, what rookies are – you know, what guys are always great to rookie year? I mean, Mike Child was yeah, there. He was okay. We'll see how okay transfers long term. Uh, this division's terrible. Like, we talk about, oh, the excitement that we're going to see in the AL East or the NL East. This division is just, this is bad. You know, if you ask, if you ask our good friend Buster Olney, what team does he always like in the AL Central to make a run? He's always a big fan of the Cleveland Guardians. They're not making it. The Guardians aren't guarding anything. Well, the good, well I, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think they will this year. They're going to get Bieber back healthy. They might sign Jose Ramirez to a long-term extension, which is unheard of in Cleveland. Um, you need 26 other players. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how they're usually – they develop starting pitchers very well, but they are one of the worst offensive teams usually every single year. White Sox are going to win that division, and then we move on. They only have the White Sox at 91 wins. Seems a bit low. 
I would I would go White Sox will easily be nine ninety seven or above. With that bullpen and their offense and their starting pitching that is pretty good. I know they lost Rendon, but you know, Giolito, Lance Lynn, Keichel. Rendon. Rodon, sorry. Oh, Rodon. Wait, Rodon. Yeah, they lost they lost Rodon to the Giants. But they still have Lynn and Keuchel and Giolito. They're going to win 90. In that division, I they mean. They have nine closers. Put it this way. Let's say Minnesota stinks, too. You could have four bad teams in your division. If you can't win 100 games with four bad teams in your division, when everybody in your division stinks, like I'm just going on the basis that I was giving the Twins love, but let's just say the Twins are bad. So the Twins are bad. Guardians are bad. Royals are bad. Tigers are bad. You're the White Sox. You should win 100 games just wait, showing up. Yeah, uh, I'm looking now. I'm just looking all through Pakoda uh, since they updated their standings. Um, well, the A's kind of dropped off. They're now at 65 wins in their projected finish with the second worst record in baseball, according to Pakoda. That should be bullet board, bulletin Wait, board how did material. We, why did we drop? I have no idea, but they have the Pirates at 66 wins. Nothing's ha- Was this before? When's the last time you checked it, though? It was updated on Monday. No, when's the last time you checked it? Uh, probably like a week or two ago. So it was after Chapman? Uh, when I checked it, and I think it was before. Okay. Then that'll make sense. But if they update it, I mean, if they update it, I mean, they, they probably changed the – Send me the link. I will. Uh, Colorado with the addition of Chris Bryant, 67 wins. Chris Bryant – is it wrong of me that Chris Bryant is the face of this last labor agreement? No. It's just the ridiculous it was it's so ridiculous this last labor dispute. And Eno, I love how Eno Eno Saris agreed with me. Hey folks, listen, I know a lot of the things I say don't come up <laughs> smelling like roses. You know, my predictions but I understand business. And I think my outlook on what happened is is pretty spot on. Most media people are always going to side with the players because the players are who give them their information, and it's not the owners. But if you think the owners – my my whole thing, owners knew they were going to have to spend some more money. They sprinkled some money here, sprinkled some money there. They kept their core stuff. Their core stuff didn't change. And in the meantime, they shut the players up for five years – and now they're creating all these new revenue streams, Apple TV, Peacock, you name it. Owners are still running it, and they're still making a ton of money. I mean, that's just the business of baseball, right? Nothing. What what is what has really changed in the end? So that's why Chris Bryant, just the ridiculous of how everybody, oh, the players and what they're getting, da, da, da. in the meantime, Chris Bryant is a Colorado Rocky, a guy that was with an iconic team like the Cubs, won a World Series, MVPs, Rookie of the Year, right, did everything. Went to another iconic team in the San Francisco Giants back on the West Coast. He's from Vegas. Uh, Went to college in San Diego at USD. He's back on the West Coast. Like, he's getting closer to Vegas. Is he going to be a Dodger? Like, this is where he wants to be. And that, when it's all said and done, he's wearing that hideous purple uniform. (laughs) And he's a Colorado Rocky because he wanted to go there to win. I think Chris Bryant, this labor deal says it all. I I agree with you. And you speaking before we go because we have to go. Uh, our first game on Apple TV will be April twenty second versus Texas, Friday night. I I I, 
Apple II. I think we. I, I I believe we have it. I'd have to ask my wife. You, you're an, you have iPads and an iPhone. You should be able to get it for free or it's like five bucks. Now we got. They watch stuff on Apple. My problem is all I watch is I watch I watch MLB Network, NFL Network, Golf Channel, and whatever games are on. I'm not the biggest. I'll do some Netflix. I know I can get. I know I can get all this stuff on my computer. Yeah, you can get it on your TV too. But I just. I believe I have Apple TV. I will have to research that. I knew we'd be an Apple TV team. Uh, we're not one of the first. We're one, actually, we're one of the, f- um, not one of the first, but we're within the first couple weeks, April 22nd. So Mark my words, folks. Our first homestand. Uncle Townie puts the business hat on. It's not about the players anymore. Used to be about the players. Baseball is a content provider. That's the number one asset baseball has right now is its numbers of games. Not signing a free agent for eight bazillion dollars. Really, what does he do for you? Having a good team and building a good team and winning is great. But where is baseball making the big, big, big you know what? It's being able to be a content provider. Mark my words. Are we back Friday? We are back Friday. Eleven to one. Eleven to one. Enjoy this game. Red it is the Reds. It's the A's. It's spring training. Nothing better. We'll talk to you on Friday at eleven o'clock. Enjoy the next couple days of baseball right here on A's Cast and the A's Radio Network. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.